Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Den of Geek podcast, featuring commentary on the latest news from denofgeek.com, as well as other behind-the-scenes content from your favorite movies, TV shows, and more. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is Episode 8, the late edition of G News for May 2018, in which we'll be discussing Thanos, Bill and Ted, Supernatural, Black Panther, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, some great topics today. And we have, as our bonus item this time around, Ray Paoletta of Inverse. She's one of the uh, senior editors over there. And she also has a podcast called I Need My Space that she was nice enough to let me guest on. And so she in turn, guested on our podcast to talk about the science of Star Wars. Very interesting speculative discussion that she and I had last month. So I'm excited to share that with you. But let's go ahead and get into what we've got this week with our news segment. All right, Mike, as if there's not enough content on Netflix already, Den of Geeks put together a list of 44 Netflix TV shows that are in the works. And at this point, most people subscribe to at least one streaming service. And for better or worse, Netflix remains at the top of the heap. So what's on the horizon in terms of shows that are in development and shows that are about to make an appearance on the streaming juggernaut? Now, Mike, I'm not going to go through all 44. (laughs) But so let me get this straight. These are shows that are yet to be developed, but also shows that are being archived on Netflix for people to enjoy if maybe they've cut the cord or something. That is correct. Okay. All right. So let's start with Lieutenant Kara Thrace, a.k.a. Starbuck, a.k.a. Katie Sackhoff, who's going to star as astronaut Nico Breckenridge in the Netflix drama Another Life, which is based on a novel. Now, her character leads a crew as they investigate an alien artifact, but it soon becomes apparent that the mission may not include a return trip ticket. Another Life's received a 10-episode order, and at this point, there's no solid premiere date. Well, I'll tell you, Dave, anytime you have Katie Sackhoff and science fiction in the same uh, news piece, I'm all for it. Yeah, and I nearly even started watching that Western show that she's in. I can't remember the name of it. But. <laughs> yeah. Now, also from the creative genius behind The Simpsons and Futurama, Matt Groening, he's been tapped by Netflix to develop an animated comedy series titled Disenchanted, geared toward adult viewers. I know that's a big surprise. (laughs) The fantasy-themed series takes place in a medieval kingdom called Dreamland, in which viewers will find supernatural creatures, including ogres, sprites, harpies, imps, trolls, even walruses. Okay. (laughs) They've got a 20-episode order, but it's going to be split into two 10-episode segments, with the first expected to be delivered later this year. Sounds good. 
And finally, who wasn't horrified the first time they read Shirley Jackson's short story, The Lottery, in high school? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Jackson's 1959 horror novel, The Haunting of Hill House, will be coming to Netflix with a modern treatment spread over 10 episodes. It's going to be written, produced, and directed by Mike Flanagan, who directed Oculus, Hush, and adapted Stephen King's sadomasochistic gameplay novel, Gerald's Game. Wow. Well, that's a lesser known Shirley Jackson, but it certainly is one that people have heard of. That sounds cool. It is. And I I did see Oculus and that was pretty creepy. But for more projects, check out Kirsten Howard's piece, 44 Netflix TV shows in the works. Yeah, that's definitely one to bookmark and consult on a regular basis to see what's coming down the pike. Well, I'm going to go into a character who's been in the limelight because of his recent appearance in Avengers Infinity War, and that is Thanos, who's considered to be one of the most formidable villains in all of Marvel Comics. But this intimidating image was recently reinforced by the Avengers Infinity War, but he hasn't always been the most terrifying antagonist, and in fact has been in some pretty ridiculous situations over the years in the comics. So Gavin Jasper put together this list of the weirdest Thanos moments in Marvel history. And his article contains some really strange occurrences that I enjoyed reading. And I'm going to give you a couple examples. One was his encounter with Squirrel Girl, who's a hero who's become known for taking out villains that are way above her pay grade, like she did with Dr. Doom, overwhelming him with her army of squirrels. No, no, that's not weird, Mike, but (laughs) but keep going. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to Thanos part yet. But in the Great Lakes X-Men, or GLX as it's known, in their Christmas special issue, she took on the Titan in a mid-issue cliffhanger. And Thanos, since he was known to make clones of himself, this cloning idea was used to retcon the defeat by Squirrel Girl in a later issue of She-Hulk. But notably, once Squirrel Girl got her own solo series years later, she and Galactus shared a laugh over the fact that she totally handed the real actual Thanos, his ass, no backsies as Gavin put it in his article. (laughs) So that seems like a fun moment. And then there was this time in 1992, the Marvel holiday special Thanos gave his adoptive daughter, Gamora, who, you know, was famously played by Zoe Saldana in guardians of the galaxy when she was young and still with her father, he gave her the gift of a doll as part of her assassin training. And that had something to do with the fact that she'd have to sacrifice her doll in order to save Thanos from a would be assassin. So, you know, there's a a bigger plot there to explore, but the doll was given to her at Christmas. And Dave, that's what's strange about that is that that's an earth holiday. (laughs) And in the comics, you can even see the Christmas tree and everything. So the whole tossing in the Earth holiday to make the story on brand for this one shot is just really strange. I'm shocked that Marvel would do that. But (laughs) yeah, you know, different comics are aimed at different age groups sometimes. But Thanos, it's just funny to see him in these in these situations. So Gavin's article, Weirdest Thanos Moments in Marvel History, has quite a few other examples to share. And the article is written very tongue in cheek as it talks about the Thanos copter and Thanos having DC's dark side on speed dial and even Star-Lord using something called a cosmic cube on a naked Thanos's private parts. So you can bet this article is definitely worth a read at denofgeek.com. All right. Well, not many genre shows reach the rarefied air of double-digit seasons, but like the Winchester Brothers, the CW's Supernatural just won't die. And while many shows live on far past their primes, that doesn't seem to be the case with Supernatural. And 
Though the network has now officially renewed its longest-running series for a 14th season, showrunners Robert Singer and Andrew Depp may have let the black cat out of the bag during a Supernatural panel at the 2018 Paley Fest held in Hollywood. So let's hear a little bit of how that happened. Is The Big Empty a concept or a place that like, we want to visit again? Was that kind of a one-and-done situation? We might visit it next year. It, okay. Uh, we're talking about it. Sure. Next year. <laughs> not, not on this show. No, no. no. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was great. I mean, obviously that was a mistake, but I think people probably knew it for real. And I think it was just a few days later that they made the announcement official, but pretty cool. Now, the series continues to be a network bedrock and cw president mark pedowitz has implied in the past that the series would carry on as long as stars jensen ackles and jared padalecki wish it to continue now one might think that the two have lost their enthusiasm for the show and wish to move on to other projects but their demeanor during that panel says otherwise now there have been other hints that a 14th season might be in the works including a discussion of series newcomer alexander calvert who portrays jack Singer talked about a casting process that took some time since they knew the character's arc wouldn't be brief. He said, we saw a lot of people for this part. We knew it was going to be a season long and maybe more part. And at this point, there's no word on when fans can expect season 14 to premiere. But if history is any indication, October's probably a safe bet. So if you want to read more about the CW's flagship series, check out Joseph Baxter's article, Supernatural Season 14 Renewal Confirmed by the CW. All right. And a lot of that news is coming out right now because upfronts are happening with all the different networks. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of those kind of articles. And uh, Joseph Baxter is right there in the mix with a lot of those. So definitely enjoy seeing those up there. Well, one uh, person who has been to a lot of film festivals lately is David Crow. And he and Matthew Shookman went to the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City this year and discovered a few hidden gems among the indie offerings. Well, because unlike South by Southwest, these small films aren't always widely distributed or even necessarily being shopped around to be widely distributed. But you can find some of them at your local art house theater. So here's some of the ones that they came up with. Uh, I'm just going to pick one from each of them where they they enjoyed the film, the positive reviews. And Matthew really enjoyed Disobedience, which is about a woman named Ronnie, who's played by Rachel Weiss, who, upon learning about the death of her father, returns to her Orthodox Jewish community in England, where she grew up. And she reunites with her friends Dovid, who's played by Alessandro Nivola, and Esty, played by Rachel McAdams who have since gotten married to each other, Dovid and Esty. But these old feelings start coming up between Esty and Ronnie, this kind of secret forbidden love. And it implies that their relationship was the reason that Ronnie left England in the first place. So Matthew says that this story just stuck in his head and all throughout the film in the days after one word stuck out to him. And that was natural. He says, I felt I was watching life and not actors portraying it. So that's definitely high praise from Matthew Shookman. And then, of course, Karen Gillan had her writing-directing debut in The Party's Just Beginning, which debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival, or at least was appeared there. And David Crow really enjoyed this one. It's one where she plays a woman in an idyllic Highland community 
So, Dave, she gets to uh, use her normal Scottish accent in this one. Nice. I guess since she's the boss. <laughs> and she's suffering from PTSD after the suicide of her friend who felt marginalized for being gay. And she herself then starts down a self-destructive path of alcoholism and random sexual encounters. And David Crow says, it's a dark and unrepentant tale, but it is told with a fair degree of grace and wistfulness by Gillen, who shows a real knack for tonal discipline, as well as a flair for bending chronological events. And that last bit really caught my eye. And kind of cool that Karen Gillen is able to branch out and show a different side than, than what we've seen in Jumanji and Doctor Who and Guardians of the Galaxy. And he mentions a flair for bending chronological events. Uh, got a little Doctor <laughs> Who in her. Exactly. I like that phrase. But there are actually quite a few other movies on this list that Matthew and David were somewhat more critical of. But there are other hidden gems in this list, including a Mary Shelley biopic and a wonderful adaptation of Emily M. Danforth's The Miseducation of Cameron Post. For the 10 other films, though, that Matthew and David put on their list, check out their article, Tribeca Film Festival 2018 Movies Roundup on denofgeek.com. Now, while it's probably not fair to say that Marvel's Black Panther was the surprise hit of 2018, the studio has to be pleased with the critical acclaim and box office success that the film garnered. So whenever we have a film of this magnitude, fans and critics want to dig deeper. And editor-in-chief Mike Cicchini and writer Jim Dandy have compiled a list of Easter eggs found in Black Panther and a general reference guide that explains some of the comic background for some of the characters and some of the events in the film. Between the films and television's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., putting together a timeline can be a source of frustration for viewers. And you and I have talked about that on many occasions. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, when you get the Marvel Cinematic Universe... It can really be tough to to figure out what's happening when, especially since they're even going to be going into the past with Captain Marvel and stuff like that. So, yeah, this is a good guide to have. Now, that said, the events of Black Panther seem to take place about a week after the events of Captain America Civil War, which would put it before the events of Spider-Man Homecoming, which was released last year, and Doctor Strange, which was released in 2016. If you're looking for some historical perspective, Black Panther first appeared in the comics in Fantastic Four number 52, and the title of Black Panther has been passed down, appearing in Captain America's Civil War, for instance. Now, since we know that Black Panther's suit is made of vibranium, it's reasonable to ask about this powerful element. Wakanda is the only source of vibranium on Earth, and it's the source of their tremendous technological advances as well. So what of Wakanda? Well, there seem to be 18 tribes and five religions, one of whom is the Jabari, who are, of course, M'Baku's white guerrilla army. Now, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And if you'd like some insight into the languages, the backgrounds of Shuri and Everett Ross, check out Mike and Jim's Black Panther, Complete Marvel Universe, Easter Eggs and Comic Universe Guide. Yeah, whenever you see a Easter egg guide on Den of Geek, you can bet that the guys here in the Den of Geek offices are always delving super deep. I, I was participating in one for Stranger Things, for example, and they leave no stone unturned. So definitely a great guide for Black Panther. Well, I'm also going to uh, stick with some uh, movie news here. And this is one that goes to my time travel roots. Bill and Ted, turns out, is a movie that has been rumored to have a sequel for a while now. And the news started popping up a little bit more so 
in recent months, but now it's officially confirmed Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter are officially set to star in the second sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and it's titled Bill and Ted Face the Music. And you know that Alex Winter was game, because I'm not sure how much he's been up to since he played Bill S. Preston Esquire, but Keanu Reeves signed on, on as well. Of course, he's had a much more illustrious career over the years, but he's ready to play Ted Theodore Logan again on the screen. And this is something that in the age of revivals, of course, especially for 80s and 90s projects, this is something that was just ripe for the picking. And when we last met Bill and Ted, they were time-traveling teenagers trying to pass history class and win the Battle of the Bands. And the official synopsis for this new Bill and Ted 3 says, Once prophesied to save the universe with their rock and roll, middle age and the responsibilities of family have caught up with these two best friends who have not yet fulfilled their destiny. They've written thousands of tunes, but they have yet to write a good one, much less the greatest song ever written. And with the fabric of time and space tearing around them, a visitor from the future warns our heroes that only their song can save life as we know it. So out of luck and fresh out of inspiration, Bill and Ted set out on a time travel adventure to seek the song that will set their world right. And When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Bring harmony in the universe as we know it. Together with the aid of their daughters a new crop of historical figures, and some sympathetic music legends, Bill and Ted find much, much more than just a song. I'm really looking forward to this. I love Keanu Reeves, and I understand that there are a lot of opinions about his acting, but I like him. I have to wonder what music legends are going to show up. That sounds fun. Now, this is a sequel that's been talked about ever since the first two films Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in 1989 and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in 1991. But when it was shopped around at this year's Cannes Film Festival, the news that Reeves and Winters were signed on certainly made it attractive to buyers. And Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, the original franchise creators, have a script ready. And director Dean Pariseau has signed on. He's known for his TV work on shows like Santa Clarita Diet and one of my favorite shows, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. So Reeves and Winters issued this collective statement about the news. We couldn't be more excited to get the whole band back together again. Chris and Ed wrote an amazing script. And with Dean at the helm, we've got a dream team. And let's hear what else they had to say when speaking to People Magazine about this project. Chris and Ed came to us, what, in 2007? Yeah. And with the idea of doing it, and they pitched us an idea that sounded great. And then they've been really collaborative with us, which is really cool. I mean, for me, the fun of Bill and Ted 
is the fun of interacting with Keanu and the banter and the way we play with the language and the characters. Behind the scenes. Yeah, and the emotionality and who's ripping off the emotionality, how. That's really what's fun about those movies. So, Dave, I couldn't be more excited about this. I think it's really going to play with the fact that these guys have aged because they had a future destiny somewhere down the line and they still haven't reached it yet. And of course the future looks nothing like what was envisioned in the first movie. So it just sounds like a lot of fun and I can't wait to revisit one of my favorite time travel movies. Yeah. So now we just have to wait to see when production on it starts. That's right. Probably is a couple of years away from finding us in the theaters, but that's okay. Now, one of the things we talk about on G news is science fiction because Dave and I really are, happy to talk about any genre television show. That's what we cover for Den of Geek. But also science comes into play with a lot of movies and science fiction shows in general, including movies like Star Wars. And so our guest today is Ray Paoletta from Inverse's new podcast, I Need My Space. And she's here to talk to us a little bit about some of the ins and outs of the science of Star Wars. And I I have to admit, I got a little nitpicky with her on this about some of the realism of some of the things they do in space in Star Wars. So let's take a listen to this fun interview I had with the senior editor, Ray Paoletta, over at Inverse.com. I'm here with Ray Paoletta, the senior editor at Inverse.com and one of the hosts of the site's new pop science podcast, I Need My Space, which releases new episodes featuring space enthusiasts and experts each Tuesday morning. Welcome to G News, Ray. Hi, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now we're going to talk about the science of Star Wars in this discussion. But before we get into that, you used to work at Gizmodo specializing in space science. And that site also dabbles in science fiction, as we do at Den of Geek. But now you're at Inverse.com, which is more science-y. But now your podcast, I Need My Space, has a pop culture bent to it. So where are you personally and where is your podcast on the spectrum between an interest in the hard science of space and then the culture that has grown around it. Well, we're definitely a hard science podcast that likes to party. <laughs> uh, we like to dabble in science fiction when we uh, when it lends itself to us. But yeah, I mean, I'm a lifelong Star Wars fan, and personally, you know, I space astrobiology is my jam. So I love to uh, combine those things when the time comes, and also physics. Love analyzing Star Wars and other pop culture, sci-fi TV shows and movies using a physics or you know astrobiology lens. So this discussion that we're about to have of Star Wars is nothing new to you. You've kind of analyzed it from an, an astrophysicist kind of point of view, right? So I had to do a little bit of homework for some of these questions because um, <laughs> some of them were, were, were things that I haven't even thought of as such a nerd. So I'm glad this, uh, this definitely um, impressed me. Well, let's start with one that kind of ties in with the first episode of I Need My Space, which was entitled, What Do Aliens Really Look Like? Because I have to think, <laughs> I have to think that if there is a diversity of life out there in the galaxy, you know, would it be as diverse as what we see in the cantina and Star Wars? I would hope so. You know, you and me, but we're hoping for that. But what I will say is that what astrobiologists are currently focused on right now is the main thing is trying to at least identify microbial life. So these are teeny tiny organisms that might be living in places like Enceladus or Europa or there. And this is going to blow some minds, but 
oceans within these moons. So, for example, my favorite uh, moon in our solar system, Enceladus, has a subterranean ocean and hot thermal vents, actually, in its south pole that could be hiding microbial life. We don't know, but it seems like all the building blocks for life are there. If scientists can find that, it would be probably the single biggest discovery in human history. But I think what you're talking about is intelligent life (laughs) because we are (laughs) talking about the cantina. So I've spoken to some astrobiologists about this, and we actually talked about it, as you said, in episode one of I Need My Space. But senior SETI astronomer um, Seth Shostak told me basically that we don't really know what intelligent aliens might look like because we haven't seen them, but also because they could be artificial. So some civilizations might have gotten so advanced that they built robots that just kind of lifted themselves off into space and are now just like chilling in the final frontier. Well, now also Earth is carbon-based life form, uh, but there's nothing saying that you can't be silicon-based, which bonds quite as easily as carbon, right? So people always talk about robots, but maybe even even life based on silicon. Is that accurate to say? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's impossible. I definitely have to do more research into that, but I do think it's interesting to ponder the existence of robot aliens in space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. And of course, Star Wars has the droids as well. But um, yeah. one of the things that also comes up, and maybe this is nitpicky and you know, trying to get at the realism of the science of Star Wars, but the core of the trilogy and even some of the uh, other movies that have come up since is the idea of a Death Star that could destroy an entire planet. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems to be some sort of laser beam, but is that the kind of power it would take, or would it take something much greater to destroy an entire planet? So this is a really good question that doesn't have an answer, but it does lead us to interesting roads and interesting ideas. I did some homework on this one because I really wanted to understand, A, could we feasibly build a Death Star? Like, What would it take to do that? And this poses a few different, a kaleidoscope of issues, (laughs) but it's fun to explore them anyway. So the first one is pretty much you would need so, so much money to do this. Like we're talking (laughs) tens of trillions of dollars. So first of all, let's say that we wanted to go ahead, suspend our disbelief a little bit and plunge the United States into even more debt. Let's just say we could do this. Where do the resources come from? So I'm thinking that in order to actually build something like a Death Star, you'd probably need to mine asteroids for their resources. For sure. And and build a space factory that would actually make something that kind of looks like the moon Mimas, which is what the Death Star also looks like. Something like that. You would need basically just a ton of resources to be mined. So who knows how long or how much money that would actually cost, but I'm assuming trillions uh, just based on like quick rough numbers I've seen floating around. So let's say you actually built this thing. If you had something that it seems to me – the Death Star is basically just different like lasers converging to form, for lack of a better word, like a super laser that shoots at a planet. Right. Uh, In order to do that, you would have to contain so much within your Death Star that it would probably end up melting the Death Star. (laughs) Yeah. So 
wouldn't actually work. And no room work. for living quarters or anything like that. <laughs> no, exactly. Because you'd be like, oh no, my house is melting and I'm definitely going to melt <laughs> along with it. So there are a few conundrums, as you see, that you'd face in actually trying to build a Death Star. However, if for some reason it didn't melt and you had all the resources and all the money to do it, you probably would have to make something. I'm, And this is not a set-in-stone answer, but you'd probably need to make something as impressive, <laughs> yeah, at least as the Death Star. Right. That's for sure. And one of the things that actually comes into play with the Death Star that I kind of appreciate is that it's spherical. And so it doesn't necessarily conform to aerodynamics that you wouldn't necessarily need in space, but there's a lot of spacecraft in Star Wars, such as the X-Wing and even some of the Star Destroyers that mm -hmm. have an aerodynamic design, but that wouldn't necessarily be needed in space. I mean, do you picture spaceships being kind of a conglomeration of antennae and, and just really funky looking, you know, structure around them? I mean, we have different designs that various places like SpaceX and Blue Origin have for what I'm going to compare it to is I guess like the commercial capsules and things that people want to use in the future for like visiting Mars and things of that nature and yeah they, they don't really look anything like the X-Wing which is more of a fighter jet kind of build but um in terms of real life what we're working on I mean it depends right so we have something like NASA's Cassini spacecraft that, you know, RIP died last year in September. I think that scientists are a little bit more concerned with how much life they can get out of these spacecraft as opposed to how much they look like a, like a fighter jet, for example. Though the X-Wing is definitely a cooler design. I will say I'll be the buzzkill here and say that the, <laughs> uh, the mileage matters more. Yeah, and of course, uh, they do use some atmospheric flying with the X-Wing and the Y-Wing and some of the others. So they they have to conform a little bit. And I think even the Star Destroyer enters the atmosphere at some point. But yeah. <laughs> that's quite an impressive sight. But <laughs> the uh, ships in Star Wars also tend to whip around a lot with no effect mm -hmm. on their pilots, especially the Millennium Falcon. Wouldn't acceleration be a problem with gravity? Unless there's some sort of artificial gravity in play. Wouldn't these pilots get sort of crushed into jelly? <laughs> I was just going to say it kind of – it depends, I guess, on what they would be simulating on the ship. I would assume that if they had some kind of artificial gravity in place, maybe it wouldn't affect them as much. But yes, I mean if somebody were whipping around at those speeds in an X-Wing, I'm inclined to believe that they would be basically a puddle of human mush. Uh, or at least they were severely injured to the point where they can no longer be piloting the, the craft. Right. And they never come right out and say that they have artificial gravity. But what would artificial gravity entail? I mean, what what kind of technology would that require? I, I mean, I can't even imagine such a thing. Yeah, that's definitely something that George Lucas probably has a better answer to than me. However, it is possible to kind of create an artificial gravity on certain space stations, things like that. There are ways in which there's like a rotational kind of device. Oh, right, right. So in the real world, we have something that uses centrifugal force to create artificial gravity. So not that I see these kinds of apparatuses on <laughs> the X-Wings or anything like that in Star Wars, but that's <laughs> probably the closest thing I could compare it to. Yeah, you'd have to go to 2001 A Space Odyssey to, to see something like that. Yeah, probably. Probably got to go outside the canon there. That's right. Now, when you're talking about an empire or a republic, 
holding a political body like that together across such vast distances between planets. I mean, how vast would it be even at light speeds to go from one inhabited colony to another? Do you, do you find that a little bit uh, stretching credibility even with hyperspace in play? <laughs> this is a good question. Um, well, I guess if you put hyperspace into play, then, you know, you can suspend your disbelief pretty much as much as you want. I think at that point, it's better to just enjoy the uh, fantasy element <laughs> at that point. But yeah, I mean, for context, it takes us, you know, many, many years just to even get to Saturn or planets within our own solar system. And of course, we don't have the sophisticated travel that the folks in Star Wars do, but we're not really there yet, but we're trying, trying to get to warp speed. <laughs> That's for sure. And, and I picture it being very difficult even to hold together a cohesive uh, unit between the Earth and the moon if we ever get that colonized or, or Earth and Mars, mm -hmm. for example. But yeah, yeah, Star Wars puts a rosy picture on it for sure. Yes, they definitely. And like, look, it's awesome to think about those those worlds. And uh, I want to go to like a bar on a foreign planet. Like I want to get out of the solar system and hang out with my alien friends at a bar, too. But, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get there. And of course, uh, ha having just passed May 4th, uh, as this podcast is being aired, we know that May the 4th be with you would be something <laughs> that might hold an empire like that together. The force. The Force, yeah, exactly. I mean, we haven't really talked about the dynamics of the Force, but yes, all things are possible when the Force is one with you. Maybe it's like quantum entanglement or something like that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. All right, well, Ray, thank you so much for talking to us today about the science of Star Wars, and we're really interested to hear more episodes of I Need My Space, which people can catch wherever you get your podcasts. You're on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and just about everywhere else. So, And you can catch Ray on social media, her Twitter is Payoletter, P-A-Y-O-L-E-T-T-E-R. And her podcast is at I Need My Space Pod. And of course, you can follow Inverse at Inverse.com and on Instagram as Inverse. So thanks very much, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. May the fourth be with you. All right. So that was a lot of fun. And it's going to be fun to share those kinds of interviews on this podcast. In fact, we've got an interview coming up in a future edition of G News with Scott Kelly, the astronaut who famously went into space for a year to see what effects it had on his body. So it's not all about science fiction. Sometimes it's about good old science. <laughs> well, that's cool, because I've just been watching James Cameron's History of Science Fiction and oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. little conversation he and George Lucas are having about just those very things. So that's great. And I'm glad that G News allows us an uh, opportunity to branch out a little bit in that sense. So we hope you enjoyed all of our discussion topics today. But that's going to be it for this installment of the Den of Geek podcast. Join us again in two weeks for the May 2018 late edition of G News, when we'll hash out the latest from denofgeek.com and share some more behind-the-scenes content from your favorite television shows, movies, and more. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.